0: Welcome to Waiting for a Review, a show about iOS development and the Apple ecosystem. From Devon, England, I'm Dave Knott, and joining me from Wellington, New Zealand, is David Wood.
1: So it's been, been quite an interesting one overall, I think, in terms of like just the focus of it being on stability and sort of seeing people say, actually, the latest beta feels really stable.
0: Yeah, what was it I saw? Um, I saw someone on Twitter saying that it seems more stable than 11.4, which I thought was quite yeah. interesting. Yeah, it kind of makes me want to install install the betas, but I don't know. I think sort I... of fighting the urge. Well, I know better, and I should know better to not do it, but yeah, I might end up doing it anyway. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I don't think you'll be the only one. Um, I'm, I'm certainly feeling tempted. It's uh, it's just a case of, well, I do rely on that phone so much, and I know it would be, it would be possible to sort of set it back to 11.4 if everything went wrong, but... would be a lot of hassle
0: yeah quite um i'm kind of looking forward to getting it installed on um, what is now heather's iphone 6 and sort of heather's ipad air kind of my ipad that i never use because ios 11 was kind of the os that made both of those devices really slow yeah Um, i remember installing it on the ipad and i was like right yeah okay that's the ipad kind of broken for the most part then um (laughs) Yeah, it's, you just get that feeling when when you go through the install and then it loads up. You're like, "Yep, yeah, this is noticeably worse," and that was definitely the case. So I'm, I'd be very keen to see if it can breathe a bit of life back in into it. Really, um, we've we've got a
1: similar situation um, in our house with uh, my old five S, which which my eldest lad is using. We've got a um, an iPad Mini two as well that my youngest uses, and both of them show it when they're using iOS 11, you know, sort of since they've had that. It's, it's been that sort of case, certainly with the the iPad, actually, um, that kind of creeping sort of feeling that this is going to be the last year that we get any meaningful use out of it. So, yeah, I'm really hopeful that iOS 12 is sort of like a, almost an upgrade. It kind of, kind of feels like it's going to.
0: It, it does feel a little bit like damage control after everything that's happened with the the, the throttling thing. I mean, for years it's been common knowledge that... Yeah, you know you install the new os your phone gets a little bit slower that's kind of been like the just the rules of being in the ecosystem and then of course last year all, all this stuff happened with the throttling effect. yeah with, with the throttling and then now it's like oh look they all go fast again i mean i don't think that's the case within apple um but it's certainly kind of pretty bad optics isn't it when you look at it through that lens
1: yeah and there's, there's a potential here that if things work too well with this with this OS release, then they're sort of setting an expectation um next year mm. that won't be able to be met, you know. I think they've got to be actually quite careful in sort of the balance of of how how tweaked the OS is on older hardware and, and exactly what that experience is. Because yeah, you clock on a year from now, iOS thirteen or whatever it is at that time. Um, I don't think you'll see the same thing a sort of second time around. You know, you're not gonna see a continual tweaking and tweaking and optimization for old hardware it's just not going to be worth it so i I don't know this to me like you say it feels like damage control for everything from the last year and you know really really cool um but i wouldn't get used to it on every release you know this this sort of feels like it'll be this year and you know we'll see I, i expect my 5s to not run the next os you know, I expect the, the iPad mini two to not run the next OS either. And I think it's just a bonus that they've been able to run this one.
0: Yeah. It seems like each new phone I've got, it's lasted a little bit longer in terms of its OSs than the previous one. Um so I'm kinda of hopeful that my ten now, given given the speed of the thing, um, it could have quite a long tail on it when when you think about it in those terms. Whereas sort yeah. of wind wind the clock back to my what would it have been? My iPhone three G. Um, I seem to remember installing iOS, I think it was iOS 4 on that, and that was just really, really bad, really bad, to the point where I'm not sure it should have really been allowed to run on it because it made the device, it didn't stack up to the user experience I was expecting from an Apple product. Um, Then the iPhone 4 managed managed to go a little bit further in terms of it kind of remaining useful throughout the iOS versions. My 5, again, went a little bit further. My 6 is now obviously running... Uh, 11 and will run 12 so i'm kind of thinking now the power that's within the modern devices they could potentially go a lot lot further and weave that in with the the tweaking and the performance increases of of ios 12 could could stand to to go a lot further which is which is great
1: yeah absolutely and i think that you know there's a load of other side effects of that as well in terms of like this improves the second hand market for this next year you know yes. this this improves that end of stuff um it actually delays devices ending up in landfill to some degree because you know you're gonna get that that bit more meaningful use out of them that bit longer i mean that's that's this year for running the current i o s um for all of those devices, but it also means that you know that tail on them being in use and and out there running iOS 12, if that's where they sort of end up marooned, you know, if these devices don't see upgrades next year, like the 5S, for example, um, it will still be useful on iOS 12 for some time to come after that. Yeah. You know, I, I wouldn't personally want to use it because, you know, I want to use the latest. That's that's me. But I know people who, you know, they, they ran their, I'm trying to think now, I knew a guy who was running his, his um, old 3GS it was um, that I used to work with um, when I was sort of still on when I, when I went up to the either the 5s or the six they you know, skipped out everything with the four and the 4s and um, just completely ignored what was going on with the platform because he could still send messages and he could still use the apps on it that he had so you know again a move like this it it, it extends the lifespan where people can use the latest but it also extends the lifespan through the second-hand market and through that sort of end of people who will keep using these devices forever. Um, Doesn't really impact me from an app development perspective. You know, I mean, there's a point where you can't support these things meaningfully, so you don't. I'd like if we're sort of sketching out a few years from now, but again, if it's sort of stopping stuff from ending up in landfill uh, for a bit longer, then that's great. Okay, so they saved the best for last, I think in terms of the keynote for WWDC last week um we finally got to see what's going on with Marzipan. it all seems so logical now that uh now that we can see it you know UI kit on macOS not um a complete change to to how we do UI on everything you know it's just this sort of sideways move
0: yeah it's interesting i wonder how how the announcement is going to um it could maybe cause like a, a slowdown of development on the Mac this year. So yep. even though it's a great announcement for the Mac, the short term effect might be that the Mac kind of gets even more abandoned by developers, um, over this next year. Um, I mean, who would, who would make an AppKit app right now if you start from scratch or, or who would even consider like a serious upgrade of, of an AppKit app unless you've got, Um, you know, some serious workforce behind you that that can just do it and you've got a huge budget. Like, say, if you're Microsoft, then, yeah, sure, go fill your boots with AppKit. But for someone like me or for someone like you, um, there's no way. No way I would consider it.
1: No, No, not Um, at all. So I think think there's a natural kind of pause um, for indie devs in this sort of space. I, I think unless you're already, you know, quite a way down the path with some development on something you were going to release anyway, yeah, um, that's over in App Kit. I mean, if you've got that, if that's your app, um, I I would not want to pause that if I had something I was waiting to release j- just for for the sort of the promise of UI Kit next year. Um, mm. But for something brand new, you know, Greenfield development, or, or in my example for for what I'm working on, version 2.0 of Go VJ, um, I, I wanted to be getting into that um, sort of in the last half of this year and. I didn't know what that was going to be. you know I've deliberately paused on, on considering that development because I thought something was on its way here um, in terms of Marzipan and whatever it was going to be. And now the path is clear, you know okay this, this means for me, um, I wanted a, a pro version of my app that would run on both iPad and Mac OS, and UIKit on Mac OS gets me that.: Yeah, so that means instantly I don't develop App Kit. You know, the, this app is going to be a, a UI kit based app.
0: It's interesting, though, because in the State of the Union, uh, they made a point of saying they're in no way de-emphasizing AppKit. So AppKit's going to stick around for you know, yes. the short to medium term, at least. So I think if you are already kind of into an AppKit app, there's no reason to stop and, and retool everything for UIKit. So, which is quite nice, in a way, isn't it? Because if imagine if you're like a hardcore Mac developer and all of a sudden this WWDC, they're taking away your toolkit. I mean, that, that would that'd be terrible. <laughs>
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well as that, that there's something to be considered here in terms of like, well, UIKit is based very much around um, a non-mouse based environment. You know, like your touch points are bigger because of your fingers and things like that. And I think with um, UIKit apps coming from iOS over to macOS, there's going to be this kind of rationalization as people sort of start to feel out, well, okay, what does that mean? You know, does that mean that when I'm on this environment, actually, I tighten up some of these these areas a little bit, or you know, there there are other kind of tweaks that people will want to do um, for sort of a, a UI kit based app when it comes to the Mac. Um, so it's good, it's good that they're not sort of locking the door out on app kit, and and that's not the plan at all, because mm. I, th- I think you're still going to need that for for certain types of apps.
0: No, I agree.
1: But um, I also think, I think I've. Uh, this next year, as Apple is sort of quite clearly testing their own apps out, and that is the name of the game. Um, and equally, as people sort of start to reverse engineer it as well, which is already happening, <laughs> um, <laughs> I think we're going to see um, see quite a few developments as the year sort of goes on um, in terms of like, well, what direction does a UI kit app on macOS really need to be? You know, I think it would be, be kind of naive to just assume that, every UI kit app on the Mac is going to be a direct port. For example, I, I don't think that that's going to be the case. Um, I think there's still going to be some neat sort of tweak, tweak for the platform a little bit.
0: Yeah, I would imagine uh, so.
1: I hope so anyway, because otherwise I, th- I think the the fear some people sort of seem to have about, you know, lots of, of kind of just iOS apps on the Mac looking quite crappy because they're not in, you know, Mac formed, um, <laughs> Yeah, that 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 sort of fear could actually be um, quite well f- founded if people don't start tweaking the apps to look good on the platform as well.
0: Yeah, and you'll probably see some of that. There'll probably be like a gold rush uh, where uh, you know you kind of get all, all the some like really rubbish iOS apps that just get ported and almost like they're running in an iOS simulator without the uh, the device frame, for example, that you see when you run the simulator. Um, yeah, there'll probably be some of that, but yeah, I, I think apps that. Yeah, you know, serious apps—apps apps that we as users are going to take seriously, and developers are going to take seriously. Hopefully, we'll we'll, we'll get some really great results. I think.
1: Are you um, Are you planning your development for your new app with this in mind?
0: Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. There's absolutely no question. I mean, by the time I actually get around to thinking about Mac development, this may already be out anyway. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll start with iOS, and uh, yeah, it could it could all time nicely. And speaking of iOS, it's kind of the point I keep coming back to is not so much in you know how awesome this is going to be for the Mac, and yeah, sure it will be, but more how the iPad could stand to benefit, because talking about you know this new app I'm kind of in the process of developing and, and just kind of trying to flesh out the idea to see if it's worth pursuing properly, the thing that struck me is when I went to design a screen for the iPad is how when I went to design the same screen for the Mac, there wasn't an awful lot I would change. Almost to the point where it made me worry that I was kind of like fundamentally missing a trick here. Like, surely the Mac app should be different in in a big way. And I thought, well, well, why? You know, with that in mind, given that the Mac and iPad apps, they have the potential in certain cases to be very, very similar. It seems now that developers have got an an incentive to make Mac apps that would translate into more powerful iPad apps, um, which could be a fantastic way for the iPad to progress. Because... I don't know. I've I've been thinking about um, iPad OS lately, as to whether the iPad should just get its own OS and become its own thing. But then I think about those that that use iPads in, you know, sort of friends, family, and they're not technical people. You know, with all this chatter that you sometimes hear about, should there be an an iPad OS? Well, I think about that, and I think about the people I know that are currently using the iPad. In a way, you'd be kind of taking their computers away from them. And the reason they they love the iPad is is for its its simplicity. And now, when you sort of factor in Marzipan, um, in the way that it can, the iPad can potentially now get more powerful apps as a result of it also being developed for the Mac. So there's that incentive for the developer to to make a more powerful app that can work on both. This way, the iPad. I think this, this is great because the iPad can retain its simplicity on the surface, kind of still remaining that non—what's word I'm looking for—that non-threatening computer um, yep. for users who desperately want something simple. But given what I've just said, has the potential for more powerful apps in the light of Marzipan. This way, the power—the power—can still come to the iPad, but it can be in the form of apps, which crucially can be kind of, you know, the power and probably complexity that comes with those apps, they can be kept all the way out of the way for users who don't want that and just want to keep it as their simple iPad kind of coffee table computer for checking their email and their Facebook and all that stuff, um, while also opening up more doors for, for, I guess you could say, pro users that, that want that power. Um, and when you think about it, that's, that's a pretty neat solution.
1: Yeah. yeah, very much. And I think um, actually if I sort of think through uh, the process of, of how I'm looking at my own app, Um, And there's this sort of future development that that now very logically sort of sits, you know, in this kind of like, okay, I'm going to design it for iPad, but I I want to extend it out to macOS as soon as I'm able to do so. Um, Kind of view of the world now that we've got. Um, That is how I'm looking at it. I'm going to do the iPad app first and I get if I'm quick enough, I get to release that before I release on the Mac. You know, I mean, like. If 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 it takes me a while, then obviously I'll get the option maybe to sort of do both at the same time. You know, it could be, we could be talking this time next year, and I've still not shipped. <laughs> <laughs> it's a possibility, but you know, the, the way I'm looking at this and this redesign of my existing app is, if I can make it work nicely on the iPad, then it should work pretty nice on the Mac, actually, because the type of app and interface that it is, um, it will still be this sort of single pane. You know, you've got this single windowed area where everything sits inside because it's a control interface for manipulating video. Um, But there's a few things there. I've been playing around with a few apps that are kind of similar on the iPad. And I want to support things like split screen and that type of multitasking that we have today on the iPad. And that means being quite responsive in terms of like the UI and the design of the app itself and dealing with like you know size classes and that sort of thing and making sure that I make sense of the amount of space that I've actually got. And when you think about it, that's exactly the sort of stuff that you're going to need to do for the Mac as well, right? Because if the user has the ability to, to make that window smaller and larger, it's going to bump between the different size classes and at that point, if your UI doesn't take that into account, then it's going to look awful. Or you're going to end up with a window that is just locked at a certain size. And again, that's going to feel weird for certain sorts of apps. So I think there's already some stuff in the iPad today that if you design your app out now with those things in mind, you know, if you design it for um, split view and that sort of thing, um, then you're going to be in a good position sort of come this time next year. That's interesting. So you're quite excited about Siri, then?
0: In terms of the Siri shortcuts, yeah. I, I, um, I mean, when when I, yeah, when I first saw it, I thought it could be a powerful a powerful feature. Yeah, you know, when I was watching the keynote, I was like, yeah, okay, I, I get it. And then, you know, you couple that in with the shortcuts app, which then obviously tied a bow on why they bought workflow. Um, yeah. And I, I sort of thought, you know, this could give some real power to the users who require it. And I started thinking actually just about the the strategy that they've taken. Because when you think about it, rather than relying on some like super smart, all-knowing AI that tries to know everything about you, this allows us to weave a little bit of customization into it. And in a way, in a way, it's kind of quite smart on Apple's part because it solves quite a lot of big problems that they had that they would pretty much just have to tackle using the brute force of AI. I mean, an example that came to my mind was ordering a pizza. So I could say, order my favourite pizza. Now, to me, that means a pepperoni and cheese pizza um, from a certain pizza place. But it seems like Apple have kind of sidestepped the need to kind of crunch all of that data in an AI AI sense as they're kind of handing that off to me. I tell them where I want my favourite pizza from. (laughs) And I tell them, you know, when I say order my favourite pizza, I mean to order this certain pizza from this certain place. Um, And then that can then be bubbled out through the system in terms of these handy... um, preemptive notifications where it's like hey it's wednesday night you normally order a pizza from you know pizza place do you want to do it yes or no now that kind of stuff with regard to it knowing what my favorite pizza is i suppose that could be inferred by looking at my usage patterns you know like on a wednesday like i just said i normally order a pepperoni and cheese pizza from pizza place x so it could figure yep. that out but then what if i said to siri um order charlie's favorite pizza i mean that's that's kind of where the wheels start to fall off I mean, first of all, who's Charlie? And how how does Siri know what what Charlie's favourite pizza is? If I'm ordering from a pizza place, ordering like three pizzas at a time, how does it know that Charlie has like the the pineapple and ham pizza, for example? But then if I could just make a shortcut for Charlie's favourite pizza, that's like problem solved. So it's kind of solving some really quite hard AI problems by kind of not really solving them through AI, which I think is is quite clever.
1: (laughs) Yeah, very much. And it is very typical of their sort of strategy at the moment on, on AI as a whole as well in a lot of ways. You know, this this puts the control back with the user um, without the user needing to give up lots and lots and lots of data just to get, you know, like you say, something that's quite straightforward actually after a point, you know, that context of what is my favorite pizza. You could, you could do that through data and you could do that through crunching what you've most recently ordered and holding on to that info. And, and you could potentially get to the, the sort of question mark of, well, out of those three pizzas, which one is yours and which one is Charlie's and, and which one is your wife's or whatever, you know, you could do that with enough data after a point. Um, or like you're saying, you can just set up the shortcut. You can ask the user for the question to, to answer the question. Um, and then remember that, you know, I've told you once Siri, <laughs> I need to tell you again. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's it's very interesting because I've been wondering for a while how they're going to sort of sidestep some of these things where you, you need to have lots and lots of data and, and lots of data across different domains and different apps and everything else as well just to make some of these things work. Um, and this looks like, looks like it's going to be part of that, if not all of it. You know, it certainly gets you a long way in sort of certain contexts and with certain tasks. So, yeah, not just a, a sort of handy means of automating things and, and setting up patterns. This is um, it's giving you the ability to to sort of tell Siri what you mean a little bit more.
0: Yeah, um, I, mean, I just wonder if it, if there's something about the nature of the solution that means it might resonate more with with people in a broader sense. Because, like you said, you're allowing users a level of configuration and control to assign their own phrases to certain actions almost like it's weaving a level of kind of humanity into the experience. And when I compare and contrast to how I use my Echo, um, it kind of sometimes feels very much like a verbal command line. And, you know, like members of the family that come around, they don't know how to talk to it. I mean, it can do loads of things. I mean, I don't even know half of what it does, I'm sure. Um, for the most part, I just get it to play music and set timers. Um, but there's all this stuff it can do, but I, I just don't really... I think discovery is its biggest problem, and again, shortcuts kind of solves the discovery issue as well because you've kind of got the apps on your phone that you know you you put there um, through you, know, you you chose to have them on your phone because you like them, um, and then through shortcuts, the sort of elements of those apps can then bubble to the to the surface in terms of being on like your, your lock screen or on, on your watch, um, and I think that's that's a really great way to discover how you can interact with those apps as well through through Siri shortcuts I think it's easy to overlook the detail of choosing how you how you deal with your assistant because typically you just think of it as like a a thing that you talk to but I think it's it's quite an important detail that this isn't just something you talk to this is something that can sort of bubble up to the surface in the form of a a notification or like a Siri shortcut on your lock screen which could have quite when, when it, when this gets released, kind of like all the iOS twelve users, I think this could have quite a big impact. Um, when, when we see this actually working and how people use it when it's deployed at scale, um, I think it could could have quite a large impact. Cause I think with all these voice assistants, discovery is a huge problem. I mean, kind of me as someone who's into it, I still struggle. So,
1: I think the um, I think the developer story here is kind of interesting, right? So, this is very much a take on voice assistant capability then it means that it's also an app story yeah you have apps on your phone and you are now going to get the ability to add hooks and things into those apps that then expose part of their functionality to the voice assistant really well you know after after a point this is going to be really quite um, quite detailed and comprehensive I imagine and yet if you look at, at things like um, like Amazon's Alexa and and that side of stuff. If you want to develop an app on there today, the link back into your Android app or your iOS app from that is not there in the same way at all, is it?
0: Mm.
1: You know, like, like the information that, um, that I may have tied up with a particular app or service that is sat on my iPhone right now. Um, there's no direct means of, of kind of hooking into any of that through, through, um, through Amazon service and I believe you know if you make make something that that sits on their products and, and, and is as, as an extension there you would still have to have something um, to link that back through your own API or your server to to make any sort of intelligent dealings in terms of the app you know you'd have to um, have to be recording that information against the user on your own server and communicating that back to the app experience as well. So this actually provides a, a means of you having that sort of interaction on Siri locally on the phone that is dealing with, with the app as well, you know, and, and that's not something that can be offered over on the other platforms in quite the same way. Mm. So it, it adds up. This is the sort of thing that keeps people interested in the platform. Um It's the sort of thing that makes our lives more interesting as iOS developers, you know, it's a richness of the platform. And I think that's that's pretty awesome really.
0: Yeah, I was watching the the WWDC session video on it. Um I don't know if you've seen it yet. No. Not, no, not. it's 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 worth a look. Um it's interesting how one of the key areas that they're keen to push is that um this all has to be about acceleration. So the way that um yeah these shortcuts kind of bubble to the surface um in the form of like on on your watch on your lock screen or something basically the the message that i kind of got from watching the video is that the more acceleration that you can provide the more likely it is that Siri will kind of expose that functionality to the user right to the point where they were talking about you know the intent system where back along there were certain predefined intents such as ones for like booking ride booking services or workouts or, yep. or list apps um and you know if your app didn't fall into one of those then it's kind of like well bad luck but now you can create custom intents, which is huge when you think about that. Um,
1: yeah, very much.
0: So you can kind of, within an, a custom intent, you can... And it's worth noting, you can also expose shortcuts for NS user activity, but they were kind of like the best way to do it is for intents. Um, so you give Siri um, some information about how it should talk about your intent, which I thought was quite neat. So in the case of ordering food, um, you can kind of tell it the language that kind of fits around what you're talking about. So in the case of ordering food, it might say, um, it could say something like, oh, okay, I ordered it. So it makes sense in the context of what you're talking about. And then you can kind of add your own parameters in. And The point where it comes back to acceleration is, is that if you, in the context of ordering food, you might have parameters being the food you want and where you want it delivered. Those are two separate parameters. If you provide both of those parameters, that then allows Siri to just do its stuff in the background. Almost like the the notification that we saw in the keynote about the ordering the coffee, yep. um, where that was kind of all done on the lock screen and you sort of, yes, I want the coffee, and then it goes off and does it in the background. That's what they consider to provide real acceleration. Now, if I only provide a delivery address and no items of food, that basically means that the uh, the app can't run it in the background, which probably means the app's going to have to launch to collect that extra information. Yeah. Um, so as a developer, if I only provide means of interact with my app, that require more information from the user, I'm not going to get bubbled to the surface as much. The key is to try as developers to create your shortcuts that can run in the background, which offers more acceleration, which means you're more likely to get bubbled to the surface. So it kind of almost almost feels like SEO all over again in a way, just in the context of shortcuts, which which could be interesting.
1: Yeah, to a degree. And also by doing that, this is also a case of, of Apple kind of externalizing the effort back to the developer. Yeah. um so r- rather than you know like making siri this sort of like extremely all-powerful ai you know this is very much like well you need to provide the links you need to tell siri how this works and you know if you don't do that then your app is is a dumb app really it can't talk to siri yeah Is kind of where this will go i guess in the longer run for certain sorts of apps
0: it's impressive, though, the whole custom intent yeah. thing. I mean, we were thinking, oh, I hope they, they released this sort of intent and that sort of intent. Well, now we can kind of create loads of intents, And I'm sure there'll be limits. Um, you know, for example, um, when I think of things like podcast players, if I wanted to tell it to play the latest episode of ATP, um, would, would it be able to do that every time? Will there be limitations? Uh, I saw some articles about Spotify, how you know it might be able to do stuff there. But maybe not yeah. to the same level that it can of Apple Music. So there's going to be trade-offs. There's going to be um, sort of limitations, no doubt. But I mean, this is a really good, good step in in the right direction. I think. Um, fast forward a couple of years or a year, um, this stuff's only going to get more powerful. I'm sure. So we're on. The, I feel like we're on a good track, even if we're maybe not all the way there yet. Um, for kind of like year one of this new stuff, it's pretty good. okay we'll call that a wrap if you've enjoyed today's show it'd be great if you could leave us a review on itunes or if you could leave us a recommendation in overcast by hitting that star button that will help us reach even more like-minded people um, also we have our slack channel we'd love to invite you to join our hope is it can be a really great place for fellow developers to come and hang out if you'd like to join uh, just leave us a message on twitter at wfrpodcast, podcast and we'll get you signed up so dave before we run off where can people find you
1: you can find me on Twitter at DWRoboHeads. That's RoboHeads spelled with a Z. And you can find my apps at RoboHeads.com. Again, that's robohead spelled with a Z. How about you, Dave?
0: Yeah, you can find my remote control for Cody at armchair-remote.com, my latest app to help kids learn to read. You can find it at spacereaders.com. And on Twitter, I'm at underscore Dave Knott.